This is team roping, but here it's from a totally new perspective. It's time to train your brain and start thinking out of the box. All right, welcome everyone back to Out of the Box Podcast. This is episode two of our four-part series of the Championship Mentality. We are going to talk about physical preparation, which of course is going to touch on the mental side of things, but it's really going to go into what it takes to begin the journey of physical preparation in order to reach the next step of the mental side on how to get to where you want to be in the roping world or whatever goal that you've set. So who do we have here on the podcast with us? Audra, we've got a guy that I can honestly say changed my whole world when it comes to physical fitness. I was never a runner <laughs> ever in my life. And the guy that, that we have on here changed that for me, completely changed how I looked at things, changed my physical fitness and everything. So I'd like to welcome a really good friend of mine, Phil Benedum. He's from California, so don't hold that against yeah, me. Yeah, please don't <laughs> hold that against me. Well, Phil, thanks for being on, and, and let's start from the beginning. You know, Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the equine industry, and just kind of give us a little bit of history. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I grew up in the cutting horse business. Out of high school, I, I worked for Jack Adams and Bill Freeman and thought my goal was to train horses and to be a cutting horse trainer which I successfully did for 30 plus years. Um, through that, I placed big into baseball. Baseball was my sport. Running was not my sport at that time. It was definitely baseball. And I thought that that's where my future was. I did high school rodeo, uh, team roped in high school, but decided that cutting horses is the direction I wanted to go. So uh, one of my best friends, Andy Adams, was uh, Jack's son and we grew up together and he, you know, of course, I kind of hung out with him and ended up starting two-year-olds and going through the getting into the cutting horse business. So that's how it started. So I want to jump in here a little bit. And, and so, Audrey, you know, with your coaching background, when we talked about people we wanted to have on this show, Phil, you've also on the coaching side of it, you have a son that wrestled in Iowa. You've coaching baseball, all kinds of sports. Talk to us about your coaching background, too. Yeah, Drew, I... I I was lucky enough. I really love coaching people and coaching kids. Uh, started out coaching junior high baseball for six years. Loved that. Loved to, to get the kids from that, teaching them what they needed to do to get to the high school level. Um, once I did that for a while, the high school head coach asked me to come up and coach the JVs, which I did one year and then went on to assist him for a year and then went on to uh, – coaching the wrestling coach my son's senior year asked me to come in the room and help him uh, as an assistant wrestling coach which I did wrestle in high school um, never coached it very hard sport to coach uh, but just intrigued by it and as you know Drew you wrestled if you can wrestle you can do anything in this this world and to watch my son go through there I didn't coach my son I coached the beginners and worked on my job was uh, the weight room and conditioning of the athletes. Um, and we had four of them go to the state, California State Tournament that year. So I was really proud of that. But wrestling, um, as far as coaching it, I, I couldn't go and hang my shingle and say I'm a wrestling coach. Uh, there's, that's at a whole nother level. But it was great to learn it and to be a part of it for sure. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
tell us a little bit about your background in strength and conditioning. You know, um, do you, did you, uh, have some sort of degree or qualification or, you know, tell us a little bit about that background. You know, I was really stayed really fit in high school. Andy and I worked out all the time, uh, just like to stay in shape. And, and of course, you know, playing sports in high school, we, we did that. I stayed in really good shape as I was training horses, as far as, you know, I, I stayed trim. I was worked hard. What happened to me is when I took over the job as the executive director, uh, a lot of meetings, a lot of you know dinners with sponsors. The next thing I know, I, I jumped from 190 to 230 pounds. Uh, very heavy. Uh, got to the point where I went to reach down or bend over to tie my shoes and I couldn't even hold my breath. I mean, I couldn't even breathe when I did it. And that's when I knew I had a serious issue. Um, and to jump into that, this was about 2012. I was actually coaching. I forgot about that. I coached football, too, at the, J, at the junior high level. I was the assistant coach and the offensive coordinator. And I was showing the kids uh, a play and a drill that I wanted them to do. And I went to run, and, and I got really numb. And I couldn't run. And I, I fell down, and I was like, what's going on? Didn't think much of it, but it was really dizzy. And uh, so... Went on a couple days, had to do a board meeting. We were in Paso Robles at a board meeting, and I was the board meeting was upstairs. I was walking downstairs to the room, and I fell down the stairs. And I didn't know what was going on, so I told a good friend of mine what was go, you know, what's going on, and and uh, he sent me to a doctor in Stanford, a neurologist, because I did have a neck injury when I was younger, when I was riding horses, and I thought that it was my neck again. And when I went in there to the next specialist, the, the doctor that, that worked on Joe Montana, he says, Phil, he says, uh, your neck's not in very good shape or not very doesn't look real good, but that's not your problem. Your problem is you have uh, MS. And so they, they immediately sent me to an MS doctor, which go through all the tests and all the, you know, I don't know how many MRIs I've had and, and of my brain and my back and uh, wanted to start me on this medicine that was could shut down your kidneys, could shut down your heart. I mean, there wasn't a good medicine. And none of, I studied it. None of them worked. So I, I decided at that point that I needed to make a life change and read the book, uh, The Walls Protocol, changed my diet. At that time, and I think I told you this story to Drew, I couldn't run or couldn't go downstairs or upstairs. So when I did get to where it kind of goes in remission. It goes away for a little bit. It, it lasted about three months. I told myself that I would run and I would never not take the stairs. And you can ask Drew at the South Point, I have never not taken the stairs up and down that deal and wherever I go because you never know when, you know, you take that for granted. And so, uh, yeah, that it was it was a deal where it got me to run. And, and I have a 20-acre property here, and I told Drew this, the first day, I thought, I'm just going to go run. I was going to get ready for some Spartan races, set some goals. I couldn't even run a quarter mile at the end of the property. And I'm like, wow, I got a long battle to go here. So that kind of started it. Once When, when you realize that you couldn't run um, or something physically says that you can't, then when, when, it, when you beat it with diet and everything else, running was just something that I, I just said, I just kept going. I started doing the Spartans. I was in the gym all the time, and I thought, you know, running, you know, I'm just going to keep running, and, and 
next thing you know, I've been in probably 30 plus races, 12 Spartans, uh, numerous, numerous ultras, and that's where I'm at right now. So, so I have a question for you. You said you know you couldn't run half a mile. So what? What steps did you take? Like, did you take daily steps to say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to run a little bit more and tomorrow I'm going to run a little bit more. Like, what was it? What was the process in order to get from uh, zero, basically, to 100? Well, I think I'm a, just like when I was diagnosed, I started doing research. That's the first thing because I was scared to death. And so you start reading books and you realize, like, with MS, diet can change that. I started looking into running and, and, and looking on YouTube and, and trying to find some people that knew way more than I did. And, uh, you know, it was a deal where, where Drew and we've all started there. Tony, um, you know, I, I, jo- I realized that it's not a run. It's, it's trying to keep your heart rate at a, where we could be talking like this, maybe a little, you know, a little struggle in it. And I would watch and then you buy a watch and you go, okay, my heart rate needs to be at 140 for me to talk. As soon as it starts going over, you start to walk again. And, and what you're doing is you're building up endurance. And to build up endurance is slow, slow, a lot of miles on your feet, low heart rate, and a lot of miles. So what I would do is jog, and as I saw my heart rate get start going higher, then I would walk. Uh, next thing you know, and Drew can, can talk on this also, next thing you know, you've done a mile and, and your heart rate. And then... And it goes fast. Building endurance doesn't take as long as people think. And then at the same time, I'm, I changed my diet, so I'm just shedding weight. I mean, it's coming off two pounds a week, the healthy way. And, and I went from 236 to one, and, it, and I did it over a year's time, to 190, stayed in the gym, lifted really heavy. And the next thing I knew, uh, you know, 185, you could see your abs, you feel great. And I was like, wow, this is something. So. Just little steps, you know. Drew said it brick by brick, and, and it's the main thing is is your is your heart rate at that time. Can I jump in here a little bit? I I think one thing, you know, as we get older, and I don't know about you guys, like we're all every one of us for the most part, especially like in the team roping world, we have some kind of athletic background, right? Like every one of us, Otter's got volleyball, you've got yours, I've got mine, and we all. Th- we all, the bad thing about our memory is we remember our peak spot, right? We remember when, (laughs) right? I mean, that's like Otter remembers when she was breaking fingers all the time, (laughs) you know, and, and I remember when I was an aid healer and in good shape. So then fast forward to where we are now, it's hard to be patient. That's what I struggle with. I mean, Phil, you and I talk about it all the time. Like, you know, I, I haven't ran as much here in the last couple of months because of, of the knee surgery, but, you know, you'd be like, hey, just go run three miles today. And I'd go run seven. And it's like you're trying to push, you're trying to push the envelope instead of just, you know, like losing weight. It's two pounds a week, period. That's what it is. You're going to only lose two pounds a week. Well, how does this tie into the mental game? The mental side of it is you just have to stay hooked. You only go run a mile or two miles or three, and don't worry about the 10. And don't worry about the 10 or 15 pounds, but mentally, for and I'm talking just for me, that's the hardest thing to do is to stay hooked and trust the process. And then my question, I guess, for you, Phil, too, is like, and I guess I could be speaking to some women in this because, you know, a lot of guys can lose two pounds a week, three pounds a week, four pounds a week. There's... 
times, even in my like up and down fitness journey, where I'll gain a pound for one of the weeks, or I won't lose a pound for two weeks or something. And I think, so if there's setbacks, what is it like, what do you do if you ever feel like you have a setback? Because I think that's where people stop or like get frustrated and they just are like, I don't know if I want to keep going. You know, my time, my run was way slower today than it was you know, three or four days ago. So how do you? Oh, we struggle with that, that all the time. That, that, you know, yeah, you have bad runs. Yeah, I had one yesterday. I had an eight mile run, and and it felt like I had, you know, my feet were in cement blocks. Um, yeah, I think it's dis. You know, it, it's creating that positive habit and and discipline. You know, they say motivation. Um, the more I, I'm in this journey, and and the more I read. It's not about motivation. It's it's about making the time. You know, I get up early. Yes, Drew, four o'clock. I get get. You got to separate. I love the gym and I never miss it. And I love to run, and so I have to spread that out. But there is there is a lot of times where uh, I've gained two pounds. Um, you you in a day. I don't really worry about it. You just get back on the horse, the old saying, and and you and you see you know maybe what happened. There's a lot of tricks to it. I, I'm realizing now that there's a. I'm on a cut right now. I call it. I I was I was kind of bulking up a little bit. Um, now I'm kind of doing a cut, trying to get down. I want to get down to 175 for my 100 mile race and not lose a lot of muscle. And I've realized there's a thing called carb load, loading that once a week you need to add about 600 grams of carbs. And all of a sudden, I lost like three pounds in three days after I did that. But you only do it one time a day. Um, you. You, there's always obstacles and I mean and you got to I'm I'm older so it's a little hard I'm, I'm 58 this year um, I went and had a and, and these are things that, that that's fun I'm, I'm really into health and fitness as I went and had a body fat analysis and that and the, the doctor gave me a goal to shoot at in four months to get to nine percent body fat is my goal which is where I'll be 170 pounds 175 pounds um, you're gonna, I'm not going to stay there. It's too hard to stay at that deal. My son does it all the time. I don't know how he does it, but it's it's really not a healthy thing. But I want to see what I want to see what it's like. I want to do like a it's well, like a wrestler cut or a bodybuilding cut and get down. And I still got some love handles. I talk to Drew about it all the time. I said I don't know how someone can have a you know see their abs and have love handles. So I need to to drop that weight and then build it back up again. I feel really good about 185 pounds is where I'll be. But uh, don't, don't, just stay consistent, and it's brick by brick, and you will go backwards. Uh, Drew and I have talked about it. You know, I'll have a run where I'm all happy. Hey, Drew, I held a seven, seven ten for 45 minutes, and the next time I can't hold an 8.30. Uh, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, things we got to battle through, but we just can't get discouraged and, and just stay, you know, just stay forward, stay on your plan, and it, it will work. It will work, I promise. Well, and and something, you know, a lot of people don't know. I uh, did a fitness competition in 2016, and my sister is a bodybuilder. And, um, yeah, and she's very consistent. But what she – so I did it the wrong way. Um, I lost 35 pounds in 12 weeks. Um, I was eating 900 calories a day. I was blackout, almost driving to work. My parents were concerned about my health, but I'm, I'm a, a little bit of obsessive type of personality. So for me, I was like, I'm doing this goal and I'm finishing it. 
But what ended up happening after I finished, you know, you have to obviously like reverse diet and do that. And I did for a while, but I think it created kind of a weird, I, I couldn't find my balance because in my head, all the only way to lose weight was to eat 900 calories, but obviously that's not sustainable, right? So my sister's really helped me through because she does it the right way. She is very like conscious about how she manages, you know, her weight and her lifting and stuff like that. And something that she preached to me, which I thought was a really cool perspective, is she said, you have to take, you have to assume it's an average. So like, if you go, let's just say you have a week. If you go up two pounds, down two pounds, stay in the middle this way, take that number in that week, and that's your average. And that's kind of where you're at. So don't, which really helped me because I would have, I would go eat sushi one night and be like, oh, I'm up two pounds the next day. And she's like, well, that's because of the rice and the water weight and blah, blah, blah. It's not really your actual weight. So on just on the weight lifting bodybuilding side, I kind of understand what you're saying. And I think it's easy to look at the scale and be like, I'm, you know, I'm up five pounds. I had a, I had a birthday weekend and I ate cake and had drinks with my friends and, and she's always kind of said, well, here's how we get back. You need a lot of protein. This is where we need to be. And just take it as an average. Don't freak out about your number or where you're at in that. Now, her perspective too, which is I think is cool, is she says you do need to weigh yourself yes. every day. You do need to find that number. You don't need it because people – there's a lot of places that preach like the scale doesn't matter. and don't, it, it does. And But you have to be consistent about weighing yourself so you kind of understand where you're at physically in my perspective. Yeah. yeah. Every morning I, I jump on the scale. I log it in my journal. Uh, my weight, but yeah, you're exactly right. You know, the secret to it too is is whatever your body weight is, you want to eat that in protein, for sure. And and even 20 or 25 grams more is is a plus. I try to eat my carbs around my workouts. I like to run fasted in the morning, um, unless I have a really long run. Then of course I'll 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 eat some oatmeal or whatever. But I, I like to save my carbs before my gym workout. So I'll I'll, I'll add carbs. I'll eat a banana. Before I take my pre-workout uh, and and eat all my carbs around before and after my workout, and that's it throughout the day. And you know it's a I, you know the healthy way. And they say if, if if the experts are right, is a pound a week is is perfect. And and that's the way that I've done it to where I gradually got down. And and one thing I I don't know if there's any research to this, but as we get heavier, I was 200 pounds for two or three years of my life. Then I was 235 for three years. Every time you start losing, it loses fast. And when you get to a spot where you were there for a long time, your body felt comfortable, you get stuck there. I got stuck at like two, 205 forever. So you have to do something. You know, then I would count my calories, add a little more cardio, you know, keep my, you know, what I ate less than what I burned. And then it would kind of come off again and then you'd hit another spot, you know, so don't be discouraged when you hit those spots because I, I think it's where I, I kind of notice because I do journal and I log, it's where I was at a, at a weight for a long period of time is where my body said, okay, hey, we're comfortable here. We've been here for a long time. And it's like, no, I want to go lower. And uh, so those are some battles, but, you know, you keep that protein intake up, like your sister said. Um and, and you can carb load once a week, and it does, you know, add 600 calories, you know, and then get back off them, and you will shed weight. I, I don't know how it works or why it works, but it does. I want to talk, so the mental side of Phil, you represent, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are, you know, it goes out on the World Series of Team Roping, and our average Team Roping 
person is, you know, mid forties to mid fifties, kind of right in that deal. You know, it's just like in the cutting world, guys that are fours and fives and a lot of them in this midlife deal, going back to what I talked about, everybody was an athlete before taking the time to do this. So talk to me about like the, the guys that are in shape on riding your horses and all of that and how this all ties together. You know what I mean? Like how, how important it is. I, I can tell you from personal experience after losing the weight that I did and getting and running the rope roping ended up being easier than it had been for a long time. Not just because of the way I sat on my horse, but because of the mental side of it. Look, rope and steers is not as hard as running 10 miles, Right? <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's just not. So talk to me about that. Like, like bring it all kind of back to the rope and side of it or, or, or horsemanship side of it for me a well, little bit. I was thinking that it, and as Drew knows, I retire, uh, I'm going on to some other things and do some, and we'll do some event management and stuff. But I had friends like Brent said, hey, you thought about getting back and cutting again. I, I am in the best shape of my, of my life since I was probably in high school. Um, it would be, ex- I kind of thought about it. Just, just, you know, Gavin said, I'll send you a bunch of horses down. You show them out here on the coast. I would wonder what I could do now with, with the balance I have, with, with I'm way more athletic. We're only on this earth for a short time. And, you know, that old saying of bodies are, is, is your temple you will feel so much better mentally, uh, you know, definitely physically. But I, I think, you know, anything that we can do to better ourselves, it's got to make us better at our job. It's got to make us better at what we're doing. You don't have to run. Ten-minute walks, Drew and I have talked about it. Three or four ten-minute walks a day burns a lot of calories. Um, it will get you to that goal. I mean, if we could all just do a little bit better, get a little better shape, it's got to help our our, our game at the end. I, I, I think it all ties together. I feel like right now I can do anything I want except for whip my son wrestling because he kicks my ass. Other than that, I feel like I can do whatever the hell I want. Um, <laughs> at 58 years old, I think there's there's people out there that that uh, want to, to, to get in better shape. And again, I think I think it's 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 a little work. It's it's positive habits and 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 off you go. No, I think you're right on. I think that everybody wants to feel better, right? But I think people, you know, Phil, people are really, they don't know how to start. I didn't know how to start. And you get, you almost get self-conscious with it. You and I have talked about it a lot. Like the, the reason I hate the gym is because I'm weak, because I haven't spent time in the gym. And the one thing that's neat about running is I don't have to have anybody. I never had to have anybody out there with me, right? And is running the answer? I don't know if it's the answer or not, but you can bike, you can run, you can whatever. It's the easiest thing to do. Like go put on a pair of shoes and go run. It really is that easy and go do it. And I think a lot of people are just like kind of scared to start, you know, and we all want the benefit of it, but we don't know how to start. And what was cool about our relationship is, you know, Audra, I can't remember if I told you the story, but basically Phil was like, hey, I've got a 100K race coming up. I need somebody to pace me for the last 10 miles. Come do it. And I was scared to death. Scared to death. That So how that works, just quick story, is the last 10 miles of, of a 62-mile race, you can have somebody pace you at this particular race we were going that Phil was entered in, what, three years ago now. And 
he's like, I want you to come run that last 10 miles. And I was scared to death that I was going to show up and my buddy who had just run 52 miles and then I jump in with him is going to whip my ass for the last 10 miles. I was scared to death, like truly. So it made me go run. And I remember my first mile or my first three miles. And there's nothing worse still to this day. Three miles sucks because that's when your body kicks over. And the first three miles for me, like it always sucks no matter how far the run is, whether it's a three mile run or a 10 mile run. First three miles always sucks. But it was so hard and I didn't know what I was doing. And I YouTubed and Googled and did all this stuff like you said, Phil. But man, after after you get over that and just go do it, it feels so good. And it gives you that mental deal that we all kind of look for and that it's a positive deal. Like you just went and did something and completely changed my game. And I hear this from people all the time. Well, I'm not a runner and my knees are bad and whatever. And I've got a little, like the three of us, I don't give me this bullshit about your knees. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have three ACLs, right? Don't bitch at me about your knees. You can do it. And Phil, you, you do the same to me. Like, get in the gym. Like, there's no excuse. Like, just go do it. So all of that, I, we've got a dude with MS on this podcast We've got, I've got three ACL surgeries, you know. I have a torn bicep. Audra's, I still play all the time. Audra's got a torn <laughs> bicep and can still smash your face in with a volleyball. <laughs> Don't give me this I can't start deal. Like, uh, I think it's that fear. Because even like the thought of doing an ultra marathon to me is that I'm not a big runner at all. The thought of it is terrifying. I, even my friend, I have a, now this girl is, she got sixth in the Austin marathon overall, got second in women's. She averaged a 6.31 uh, mile for the marathon. <laughs> She's a beast, but I always see her stuff and I'm like, man, the thought of that is scared. Like I don't, I in my head, I'm like, there's no way I could do that. Or I guess I just have fear. So my my question, I guess, for you, Phil, is like, how do you get over the fear? I just, you know, I'm a believer in you pick one or two hard things to do a year. That's what I started doing. And and what what I did with Drew is I said, hey, Drew, I'm, I kind of forced Drew to come do something. I, I knew me just saying, Drew, let's go, you know, you need to do this wasn't going to work. When he said yes, and I said, look, you say yes, you're in. There's no backing out now. Then Drew picked another goal. He picked something. I want to do that run the following year. Um, I, 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 and one thing I left out is I, I have had a running coach for six years. Um, set my plan up. I, I, being a coach, I just want that account, accountability where he put it on there. I had to do it. A goal race a year, that's something I want to try to just smash. And then training races along the way. You just set them and it keeps you on track. Well, hey, let, let me jump. Let me jump in real quick because so we're just talking. All we've talked about is winning so far, right? So the fear thing, Phil, talk to me about losing because you know the Rocky Raccoon this year didn't turn out, or last year when we did it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to on the hundred miler. The the race that you just did here, talk to me about. So you know everybody thinks, oh, I'm just finishing all this stuff. There's some DNFs in your history that that hurts your soul a little bit. Talk about it that. Hurt a lot. I had a, you know, my goal was to run 100 miles. Drew did this, the 100K. I was in the best. I mean, I did everything to, you know, I was running 50 mile weeks, trained, ready to go for this race. Uh, had some issues. I had a knee problem. 
I had an Achilles issue going into the race. I really worked on that. My coach helped me. I got a physical therapist. I did the light therapy. I did everything. And and I was excited. One of the guys that I follow, and Drew and I follow, Nick Bear was there. He was running the 100. Fired up. I'm ready to go. I mean, younger guy. I knew I couldn't stay with him. Uh, but it, it just felt like it was my time to get this, to hit this goal. I, 25 miles, I never felt better. Um, even got to run with Nick for a little while, talk to him. Uh, 20, about mile 20, no, I'm sorry, 25 is when I had to get out. So about 21 miles in, my Achilles just starts throbbing and it starts swelling up and I'm like, what do I do? So I'm, I break down to a walk. I'm on a great pace. I, at that time, drew too fast. I was on a 10 minute mile pace at that time. I was just fired up. Uh, called, I actually got on the phone with my coach. I said, coach here, I got an issue. My Achilles is back, but it's worse than ever. He said, how, how far are you in? And I said, 25 miles. He says, Phil, if you were 70 miles in, I'd tell you to grit it and go finish it. He says, but, you know, it's, it's, you got too long left, too long, too many miles left. Got to the aid station. They had an EMT there. He's looking at it, thinking, oh, I'll wrap it up and everything. And I, one of the runners was a doctor, and he come through, and he comes in the tent and looks at my leg, and he says, oh, you're done, son. He was an older gentleman, older than I was. He says, save it for another day. And, and it was the hardest deal because uh, my son was there, his friend was there, you know, Drew was running his race, trained my butt off for it and had to medically get, you know, step out of the race. And, and it was tough. I mean, Drew and I have talked about it. Uh, then I was, get a ride back and I'm thinking, well, I got to get my buddy Drew through this race. You know, he had my son was there. He was going to pace him. Uh, I was telling Drew when he gets done, he should pace me the last 10 miles after he did 62. I don't think he was in on that. But you you, you fail a lot. I'm getting over the fear of it, but I, I'm not a fan of heights. I do the Spartans, uh, Spartan races. I did a lot of them and got very competitive in my age group. And uh, the first time, and you see it in the wrestling room, you know, the rope that's 30 foot in the air. I uh, have no problem climbing up. I get up to the top of that rope and I fixing the race and hit the bell and I look out there and realize I'm way up here. I froze. I'm on the top of a rope, 30 foot up there. They're telling me hit the bell and I can't get my arms off the deal. And I finally somehow do it. And then I've held, I've, I've been sitting there for so long. I just slid down the thing, rope burned my legs, my hands, called my son and afterwards and said, you got to teach me how to climb this rope a little better. Uh, but and, and the other one is, I mean, killing it. I was getting ranked in my age group at the time. My running was kicking in. I, I go to the gym, so the obstacles weren't a problem. There's a cargo net. You guys have seen it. The military cargo net that's shaped like a triangle or a teepee. The, the A-frame. A the A-frames. I could be blistering through this course, and I get there and stop and just scared shitless. Like, I got to go up that deal. And you can see down as you're grabbing the deals. And you watch the the... <laughs> the pros and the other people just flying up it. I, I mean, I get, I get up there, get to the top. All I got to do is swing my leg over. And uh, I'm sitting there, and finally this, this lady comes up beside me. She says, you all right? I says, yeah, I'll be all right when I get off here. And she says, you need some help? And I said, can you just help this leg go over? And she grabs my leg, <laughs> throws me over, I go down. Uh, anyway, so, and I, I wear the bracelet all the time now. I read a book that's called The Obstacle is Away, and we're going to run into obstacles all, all over. Now I look down at that thing, and, and 
I try to run through the obstacles. I, I can fly up that cargo net right now and uh, still a little scared, but I do it. And it, it was all in my head, but you know, failure, we're gonna fail. Fail. I, I, I took a shot at, um, I'm, I'm losing weight and I took a shot at deadlifting 450 the other day. Um, my, my best is 475 at 57 years old and I, and I was just kind of working my way back up. And I failed. There was everybody watching, and they're all cheering me. I failed. It was hard. I mean, it was hard because I've done that weight. So, to me, it's just an obstacle. It was just a bump in the road. I'm not. I could do that weight if I was gaining weight and getting stronger. I'm cutting weight, thinking that I am gonna be able to lift something. That as you cut weight and and get a little thing, you're not gonna be as strong. You don't see any power lifters that are 175 pounds. They're all 300 pound guys that can just, you know, big strong people. So. You know, don't be afraid of those obstacles and run into them. Uh, it's going to happen. Well, and, and I'll tell you, I guess, a little story. I, you know, I coach volleyball. I'm a high school coach. And we were um, in the quarterfinals of the state tournament and playing against a team who their best player was in the hospital. So she was sick. And the first two sets, we beat them like 25, 9, 25, like 11 or 12. So I'm thinking we're going into the third set. I'm like, okay, you know, we're going to win this. We're going to move on to the semifinals of state. Everything's going to be fine. Well, my, my girls started to, over time, lose points, lose points. And we were playing a small school, Hot Springs, Truth or Consequence, New Mexico, which is like Hot Springs. And so a lot of those small school girls are um, very they're pretty mentally tough. A lot of them are farm kids and, and they, you know, they don't get the option to not be. And I coach in Albuquerque and I got city kids and it's just a different, it's a different world. As you guys know, it's just different. Um, not good or bad. It's just totally different. So I'm trying to manage my kids and the few that are really crumbling and I don't have a deep bench. So I, we, they call it a reverse sweep, which means they beat us the next three games. And in the fifth set that goes to 15, we were up nine to two and we lost. <laughs> mm. And that's never happened to me, not in any time that I can remember. And if you want to talk about crushed, I like didn't want to leave my house for two days. I mean, I just thought I'm in my head as a coach. I was like, what did I do wrong? What is it that I didn't manage? That's my job because I got them there physically. My athletic director, who's a really good friend of mine, he is not very an emotional person, and he's not the type that ever goes. He was a football player at at UNM, and he's very stern, and he's he's a kind person, but he's not the type that's ever gonna really give you any advice. And he sent me a text, and he said, "We learn more in defeat than we do in victory. You're gonna learn a lot from this, and you're gonna question everything. And next year, you're gonna be ready." And I will actually say, I felt. And after thinking about it, I'm not going to put all the blame on me. However, I felt a little complacent. I just thought, oh, we're just going to fly by this team. Let's move on to the next team. Kind of what I preached to my kids to not do. And in my head, I had already switched the button off. And so I now feel like coming into the next year, I've got a little bit of fire that I've kind of lost as a coach because I was like, oh, it's fine, you know you know, kind of this ego, I ha I've won this many games, I've done this much, and I, my ego got in the way of progress. And I feel like this really did teach me a lot. But obviously, during the time, I was completely devastated. And as the kids were, I mean, my seniors were obviously crushed. And 
that's just how it goes in high school sports, as you know. But as a coach, I was like, what? I have definitely had to reevaluate everything based off of that, like, failure. I, I had one, uh, a quick story. Uh, the first year my son made it to state at 165, he was a, he's a three-sport athlete, so he didn't focus just on wrestling. Uh, really good football player, really good baseball player. Uh, his sports overlapped each other, and he gets to state, and he's the last qualifier. And in, in California, it's not broken up into different regions or anything. To make state, it's one of the toughest places because a small school has to go up against it's one state. It's not Division One, Two, Three, Four, Five. So he gets in in the 12th spot or whatever the the bottom spot, which means he's going to wrestle the number one guy his first first match. We've seen the guy kid was from Clovis. Uh, undefeated he was a senior chance was a sophomore and chance he comes to me and 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 it was the first time he said dad i'm scared and i said scared of what he says i can't don't think i could beat this guy and i said you know what son i said i don't either i said but go rock his world i says you have nothing to lose here and and i said uh he is gonna not expect he's gonna expect you to come in timid i said so you have nothing to lose he's the number one guy you're the bottom seat guy get after it he, he, he went into that match. Now, you know, he lost for sure. But he took him down. The kid was kind of playing with him, and Chance took him down. I mean, double leg, the prettiest double leg, takes down the number. The, he, the, the kid kind of crapped his pants. He was like, holy shit. And, and, then, and uh, <laughs> then, you know, it was a matter of round two, he ended up pinning Chance. And, and he come out. It was the first time he kind of had tears. He said, he said, I didn't win it. I said, yeah, you did. I said, uh, I heard his coach say he hadn't been taken down all year long. I said, you're the only guy that's taken him down, so you did win, you know. So, and that, and then he went on to win two straight, and it, and, but we run into those fears. Uh, there's always someone better. There's, you know, we're always gonna, you know, it's what we can learn from our failures. Yeah, that's a great story. Uh, I've, I've had a lot of coaching deals like that too, where one seed going in and we get beat by a, a four seed that we're not supposed to lose to. Um, it's tough, and you feel as a coach, how did I, you know, I, I did something. We, I had a team one year, undefeated junior high, won the whole deal. The next year, even a better, they lose their first game. I think it was the best thing that ever happened to them because they didn't know how to lose. They hadn't lost. They knew they were good. They were getting a little cocky, and they lost. And you ought to have seen them put their head down and pout. And so we had a team meeting. We went for a run. We talked to them. They realized they had to get back to work. And then they went ahead and won the whole deal again. But... Sometimes losing is not a bad thing if we learn from it, for sure. Right. I mean, my my senior year of college, we came in ranked. We were ranked 10th in the country, and we were all so cocky. And then we went to a tournament in Ohio and just got our butts kicked. Like, all these Ohio teams were like, "Uh uh-uh, nope. So we were uh, 0-3, and then we finished the season 35-4. and So after that, we went on a 34-win uh, game win streak, but it was because of the losses. I don't think we would have done that, been that successful had we not. And then we got unranked, and it actually felt better because it was like, okay, now the pressure's off. We don't have to be the best team. We can just go in there and fly kind of under the radar a little bit. Since at the beginning, everyone is like, oh, well, they lost to those teams. How could they beat us? And we were like, nope, we're just going to go to work, put our heads down, and just push through it. 
I want to bring I want to circle bring this thing all the way back to our to our listeners in the team roping world and this goes to both of you and this is going to get back to the fundamentals. So the ropers out there that are the number 4, number 5s, it it doesn't really matter at at any level. But one thing that uh we get overwhelmed with we go to these ropings and we see the guys and gals that are roping fast or whatever, but at the end of the day and this is this is probably true coaching volleyball at the level that you have, Audra, with your teams, Phil, with what you're doing. The number four, number five team roper at the World Series of Team Rope, and I see this all the time, they never get beat. They beat themselves every time. If they go catch four steers clean in nine or eight, chances are they're going to win something, right? Even, even at the open level, a lot of times, if you just go close the door on all your steers, you're going to get a paycheck. First, kind of depends on, you know, have, having a good draw and everything working. But placing second, third, fourth, fifth, and every rope is nothing more than just doing your job. Phil, when we go to these runs, it's the same thing. That, that was the biggest takeaway that I had after 1,000 miles in 2021. It's one foot in front of the other and just getting it done, fundamentally running a 12-minute mile. It's not running a 7-minute mile that we could do. It was running the 12-minute mile over and over and over. Audra, with Eden, my daughter right now, in volleyball, like we were at a tournament yesterday, if they just do the basics... If they Boys. if they just pass the ball and have good hits and serve solid, and I don't even know what I'm talking about in volleyball, but, <laughs> but like like we were in the gold bracket yesterday and we lost to a team that wasn't. That, but it's all the same. It doesn't matter if you're roping or playing volleyball or running a hundred miles. It's the fundamentals. So Audra, I want to go to you first. Talk to me just like let's not talk about volleyball. Let's talk about the mentality of fundamentals. And trusting the process of fundamentals over and over. The fundamentals are everything. That's where you can always go back to, especially if you're physically exhausted in anything you do. Because that is what guides you to being where you need to be. So if your fundamentals are wrong or you're not well-versed in them, or that's, that's going to break down because physically you're probably going to break down at some point, depending on what you're doing. Even, you know, even roping or riding or anything, you're going to get tired. You're going to get worn out. Yeah, you're there all day long, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, It's hot. It's, it's it's a grind. Yeah. It's all those. So the variables are going to come in and come and go, but the fundamentals are going to stay the same. So if you can keep that fundamental side and learn the correct way and the right technique and really hold on to that, then the variables don't seem so extreme, if that makes sense. That's great. So That's awesome. Yeah. If it, yeah. So a pressure situation, you can always go back to that. Mm-hmm. The short round's no different. We got a hundred thousand on the line or, you know, 1.2 million at the finale or whatever. All I've got to do is get the rope around the horns, handle my steer, be a nine second run and make $70,000. Right. It comes into play on everything, but especially in the equine world. Like, talk about variables. I mean, you don't know what the steer's going to do. You don't know what your, you hope to know what your horse is going to do, but that doesn't always work out the way that you think it's going to. And, you know, things, things happen that, you know, there's weather issues or your truck broke down on the way there and you were, took you 15 hours to get somewhere that takes you normally seven. I mean, there are so many different things that can 
affect everything else that's going on. But if you're not well versed in what your your fundamentals are or your bases, then none it's already that's already gonna be a problem, no matter what. How about you, Phil? You know, for that average person that's going out and playing the game, how do they how, how this mental side of the ultra marathons, the Spartans, everything. I'm going to turn it more to cutting here though, Drew. Um, mm-hmm. When I showed a lot and I've been lucky to win a lot of big events, it's a, cutting is, is all about the fundamentals. You know, it would, all you got to do is make two or three good cuts. You know, fund, if you can't get that done, you're, you're done anyways. So, you know, constantly working on that and practicing your cuts at, at home and, Doing things the correct way, hand low, uh, you know, knowing your cattle, getting all the fundamentals like God you said down right is uh, is so important. But and sometimes we go back, you know, like I, I tend to, and I think you do, try to push yourself, and and all of a sudden you're not going where you need to go. You're, you're. I sometimes want to do this. I want to be up here already, and and we have to go back numerous times in my running and my technique. I got to go back to fundamentals. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm running too fast. I'm breathing out my mouth. I'm supposed to be breathing out my nose. I need to slow down and get back to fundamentals. Then I start making progress again. I, I just thought of something that, that I, don't, I don't guess I've ever even thought about it like this, but just, I, and I didn't mean to step right. on you right there, but we forget the fundamentals, we forget how long it takes and how hard it is to build that one fundamental. It's called fundamental, so this is like a paradox. We call it fundamental, so we're like, oh, that's fundamental, right? (laughs) Does that make sense? Like, that's easy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it takes longer to shape that thing, whether it's your stride length in running or I want my first swing always to be down and outside the right horn every time. Well, as we get roping faster as a header, we'll cock our swing over a little bit more because we're going to reach a little bit further. So we skip that. It's like, oh, I've got that. But then you get to the point and you're at a short round somewhere and you come out and you miss the right horn because you've advanced a little bit but you you skip the fundamental and you miss the right horn. You don't ever miss the right horn, ever, ever. But if you don't go back and correct that every single time and have that where it is a polished fundamental, if that makes sense. What I call it is, and, and this is also a hard part, and you guys will probably know with, with coaching, it's muscle memory. That's what it is, muscle memory. But the muscle memory has to be correct. <laughs> because what I will tell you is I do a lot of private lessons, and I will have a kid who has now taught themselves how to hit a volleyball, and it's wrong. But the problem is, is I have to reverse the muscle memory of old that they were doing, you know, swinging a rope and they swing it wrong. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. So sometimes I'll just work with it and try to manipulate a few things and not try to really redo the whole thing. Because at that point, I'm like, I can't, you've been doing this for five years. I mean, that's ingrained in you. So let's try to, you know, tweak a few things on your approach or your feet or something. But if you can get the muscle memory correct, that's where you're really, you're in a good position and you're in a good spot. Cause then you're not having to think about where do my feet go? Where do my arms go? Where do my body go? And then you can really go to the next step, which is a more advanced volleyball. Okay. 
what is the other team doing and where do I need to adjust? Because now I don't have to think about what my feet are doing. I already know what they're doing. Now I'm worried about what the other team is doing. And I will say this, sorry, I'm a little long-winded, but even so I got to coach vo- uh, college volleyball for a, a year. And um, something that I learned over there uh, is, um, which actually it's not really the coach I worked with. It wasn't really her perspective, but it's mine is she was very concerned about the other team, always concerned about them. And our fundamentals weren't there as a division two program. We just weren't there. And in my head, I'm like, we need to be focusing. It was some volleyball coach. I can't remember which one. He's really a famous, really super famous, a big deal. And he said, I don't even tell a scouting report to my team. If I don't feel like they're going to be able to handle that scouting report. Because if they can't, then it doesn't matter what I tell them because they're not going to be able to hit the ball over the net anyways. So why does it matter what the other kids are doing on the other side? So so, so why bring that other variable in, right? Like why right. why bring that mental variable in? Why even worry about it? Right. You're, you're exactly right. In team roping, so the worst thing that you can do is the team in front of you goes and blitzes a steer, Right. And it blows everybody's mind. I'm sure it's just like in the cutting pen, Phil. Guy goes out and marks a 75. And you're like, oh, man, I got to go. I got to go freaking like kick to win this deal. And then you go completely whatever, run by one because you're trying to expose your horse to, to be a 76 when all you needed to do was just go show your horse and be a 74 and play second. Or, or advance to the final or whatever. Uh, it, t- it took you know? me a while to learn that, Drew, training horses, because I always wanted to win. So so when I was in the cutting pen, and I learned something from Tim Smith, a good friend of both of ours. We were at a weekend show. We're both hauling. And he he I'm turning back for him, and he write, as he rides by, he says, Phil, what's been marked? And I said, a 75, 74, and a 72. He said, well, they pay three monies. I'm going to go in there and get that three hole. And I said, uh, just that confident. And, and if it all works out, I'm going to win the cutting. He goes in there and just just stays with his fundamentals, makes good cuts, doesn't try to win it that day. He doesn't have the best draw. Where does he go? In the three-hole and gets a third-place check. We that That's when I started thinking different. It was the best learning experience from a legend, from a Hall of Famer. And he didn't even try to tell me. I just went, that's his thinking. That's why he is so good and why I win one and then lose three. And don't get a check. And then get set. I'm so inconsistent, and he's consistent. But his thought process was totally different. I think it's good stuff. Clay O'Brien Cooper, and I, I'm going to paraphrase this. And I can't remember where we were at when he said this. It was sometime in the last 20 years when we were doing a video shoot or something. I, I just remember it sticking with me. So Cleo was the king of you know saying, hey, just place along. And one thing that he said is like, so whatever you think, you know, you're pushing hard, right? And th- this goes, th- th- Phil, this is perfect ultra marathon mentality, okay? Here's Clay O'Brien Cooper, you know, arguably the best healer to ever live. He's like, hey, don't, don't be at 10. Back off to eight when you compete. And then do exactly what Tim just did, yeah. you know? T- Tim won the world this year, right? right? And, and, I mean, still... Still, still has, yeah. Yeah, how old is Tim Smith? 65, 66, 67, somewhere in there. Yeah, one, wow. one, he, he's the open world champion this year, by the way. This guy that he's talking even, about is wasn't a badass. Wasn't even close, yeah. Wasn't even close. I mean, killed him on, on MVP. Anyway, so th- this guy's legit that he's talking about. So that's what Tim did is he backed it off to eight, 
or seven even. You, you know what I mean? Like one to ten, ten being red line maxed out. We're going to go kick their ass. And he backed it off to seven or eight, went out one third, said this is the horse I have and the team roping to be. This is what my draw is. This is what my partner is. I'm just going to go catch, go do my deal and place. At the marathons, Phil, if we go out, just think if I had started off that, for, and it's hard not to, that 100K race, if I had started off, because at that point in my game, you and I are running seven-minute miles consistently, six-minute miles when we're, when we're pushing. I ran that 10K in a 7.45, you know, six miles at a 7.45 pace when I was, if, you, if we, that's, to me, that's my 10. If I'd have ran that, that 62 miles at 10... Oh. Oh, you'd have died. I'd have died. (laughs) I would have died at about mile 10, right? Well, and I'll say this in a mental side of things. So what I tell my kids when they're serving, a lot of times, especially if it's their first serve, and they're going back to go serve, I say 50%. I just need you to put. So I I don't tell them, don't miss your serve, because that's... Oh, immediately no, they miss their serve. Yeah, you can't. Say I'm that. like, you, that they've learned in psychology. If you say don't do something, most do of it. the time You're gonna they're going to do it because it's in their head. They're like, oh yeah. god, I can't miss my serve. Yeah, coach told me not to miss my serve. Instead, I say I need it fifty percent. Fifty percent. Let's do mid court, and so then it gives them a goal. Okay, I'm going to take some off of it, and then I'll say, okay, so let's do seventy five. Let's work it back up, and then sometimes if we're at we're up a lot, I'm like. 100, 100%. Rocket. Rocket. Let's see what you can do. Let's push push the envelope. Yeah, if you hit the net, whatever. Point. doesn't matter. Uh, and then they look at me and I'm like, well, we tried. <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to yell at them for doing that because I'm directing what I think they should do. And that's more of a mental thing because serving is the only thing in the sport of volleyball that is an individual part of it. <clears throat> the rest is all team. But once you're back to serve, it's only on you. So that's my way as a coach managing the mental side. But yeah, you can't go back there and do 100%. 99% of the time, those kids serve as hard as they can, that it will hit the back wall and we lose the point. Maybe the 8 out of 10 or the 50%, and then you can work your way up at least. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, guys, I think that it, it is so cool that, you know, th- this podcast, Audrey, was a great idea because everybody that ropes has another side. Everybody, whether it's their golfing or whether their business, whether they're doing what Phil and I've done with the running and what Phil's doing. And like, you know, where I'm at in the running right now, I've got to start back over. I had knee surgery a few months ago, but I know that if I do three miles and do the program, Phil, like we've talked about, that I'll get back to that. And it's not just about the running and the weightlifting, because now when we go to the rope and pin, you, that mentality creeps into other places of your life. You know, now when I go rope, it's like, let's just get through this run. Let's just let the steer be what it is. Let's just, it is what it is. And, oh, man, we were just an eight-second run, and then we put three or four of those together, and they pay us. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, my, my, my winning has come up, and I'm not having to force it, you know? It all ties in. It doesn't matter if it's roping or running or playing volleyball or whatever, you know, that this mental side of it and doing these other things that are a little bit harder and are a little bit uncomfortable, but when you do them and we put it all together, it's going to do nothing but help your team rope. Yeah, and Drew, if, if we stay, no matter what we're doing, team roping, if we can stay consistent, you know, um, I, that's where I think my strength is, is uh, is you get, after you do things for a certain while and uh, certain things for so long, I mean, Drew, Drew I, I, 
I've called him and said, I'm, I missed a workout. I mean, it's like the worst thing. It blows Blows my mind. mind. Hates I, I'm going after this. <laughs> um, I don't miss a day in the gym. I might miss a day running, but I do. And so you create that habit and, and that you do it, and it, it's a positive habit. Sometimes you need a rest. Your body needs a rest. Today I'm just going to go and do some abs, do some functional stretching, maybe do some walking on the incline. But, but I'm going to go because it's something that I have to do that consistency for the ropers that are listening he's not talking about catching the steers consistency he's talking about go rope the head and dummy 20 times in a row it'll take you five minutes you know if you want to go up to 100 it'll take you about 15 minutes to rope the head and dummy 100 times rope the heel and dummy or go saddle your horse and have somebody pull the helomatic for you for 10 or 15 minutes it doesn't have to be this long drawn out deal or go rope 10 steers whatever it is just make it consistent and it's better to do a little piece numerous times over and over and over than it is to go run 100 steers today and then not rope for two weeks i'm doing 100 push-ups a day for 365 days it could be 10 guys uh it will change your life to do just to realize that every morning you get up, you fire off 10 push-ups. Eventually, by I tell you, in a month, you're going to want to do way more. But you, to me, you won that day. Explain to me, Phil, a little bit. Um, how do you push past the excuses? Because that's really where I, I struggle personally. There's always things that are more important than something else. And you can create any excuse you want to not do something. I just have it now so... And, and I keep going back to Drew on this. We'll have a cutting that goes till midnight. I haven't got my workout in. I've gone to the room and go, I don't want to do this. And then there's times you're not going to want to go do what you have to do. Um, I sit there a minute and say, I can't do this. Take my pre-workout. Go. I tell you, once you push past it and go do what you didn't want to do, you're going to feel so much better. You know, how many times, believe me, if you run as many miles as I ran or Drew when he was training, the last thing every day you want to do is put your shoes on when your feet hurt and your coach says you got an oh. eight-mile run. It is the last thing you want to do. And what's old Goggins say? Put them on. The first thing you got to do is get your shoes on. Or, and That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go rope. I don't want to go saddle my horse. I don't want – it's all the same. Exactly. I do keep a journal. I have my daily habits, and one of them's run and one's a gym, and I check them off every day. That, that trick in your mind, Phil, and I know this is where you're going, and Audra, I think this is – so I don't want to go rope the dummy 100 times today. Grab your rope and go rope the dummy three times. Just tell yourself that. All I'm going to do is I'm going to walk out and I'm going to throw three loops or five loops. That's all I'm going to do. You'll end up doing your 100. You will end up doing every time. Phil and I used to talk about, I'm like, Phil, today's long run day. Today's 12 mile day. I don't want to do it. So you tell your mind, I'm just going to go run two miles. And you get out there and you run all 12. Because you, once you get doing it, you're all in. Everybody has time to rope the head and dummy five times or the sawhorse five times. Guaranteed. Pro- takes like three you seconds. You will feel so much better when you go, man, I'm so proud of myself for doing this. And I think that that feeling you get after doing that thing that your mind and your body does not want to do, you know, in ultra races, you have to. That's all about getting through the pain because you are going to, in 60 miles or 100 miles, be hurting. Very badly. The other side of the rainbow is the best feeling in the world that you knew that you went to the gym. You knew that whatever whatever it is, you went out and roped the dummy. You know, every day you will feel so much better for it. And I think it's that feeling I get at the end that I did it. 
that makes me feel so I won. I won the day. That's that's the way I think of it. Really appreciate you both being here. It was such a great conversation. Um, and I think it's all tools. I'm like, right now, I'm, I'm going to go play volleyball at two. And I was like, I should get, go a little early. Yeah, get right. Warmed right. up. I, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm fired up, ready to go. <laughs> I know. Like, I, I do too. Like, I'm like, shit, I got my jeans on. I'm like, well, I better go put my shorts on and get my three miles in today. Like, that's really how I feel after this conversation. I, I'm excited. Bill. I'm Thanks excited you. because I have a 100 mile run in June and I have a new pacer here. Audra is going to be a. Get running uh, now. Yeah, Audra <laughs> is got, a new She's going to come to 10 miles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, hey, but the look. Problem, don't challenge me to anything. I'm, oh, I'll, hey, I'll, I'll give you the date so you know. <laughs> Phil, I got I got to really? tell you. I, Phil, I got to tell you this. So Audra and I played tennis one time. And it is the worst experience of my entire life. This was, what, 12 years ago or something, Audra? Yeah. And I'm like, this chick ain't going to whip me. And... Audra's like the nicest person in the world until you walk on a court and she's the shits like ultra (laughs) ultra competitor and it was the worst like so she she would do just like what you did with me at the ultras if we talked her into it she'd be all in she would be all in I probably will you you you, like I think we should we'd be like oh I hate this I hate this and just grind it out I just know she she would she has she has time she has two months to train to get up to 10 miles she can do it yeah yeah yeah, just I'll take I, her off in a hundred miler in two months. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, ten miles. I think so. You said the last well, 10 somewhere. Miles, yeah. right? No, a hundred. You got to do. 50. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can do you, at fifty miles. You can have as many pacers as you want. You can have one, or you could have two or three. But I think you're definitely the one to finish the last ten with me. The pacer's job is like like Mike Tyson's hype man, like like your little John. You're like. <laughs> You got to Phil. You the man. You got it. You only got 10 don't, miles left. Come on. Don't have it. Drew patient. Drew's the worst. That's what I did. I freaking did. I don't know if I was the worst pacer or the best. I was like, come on, Phil. Come on. I'm I'm a great hype woman. I If anyone has ever watched me coach, I, I one of the things I'm known for is jumping about 10 feet in the air when my kids do something great. I'll wear heels and I'll jump as high as I possibly can. But I tell you what, after 90 miles, me doing 90... You'll kick my ass the last ten. You'll just be dragging me along. Yeah. I promise. You'll be yeah. walking a lot. It'll be okay. We're goal, right? setting this right now. Yes. I'll send okay. you over training okay. plans. Well, Audra, so I'm starting over now too, right? So I'm starting uh-huh. over now too. So Phil, get us a starting program just to mm-hmm. get there. Like my whatever, couple days a week, whatever it is, and let's do it, Audra, for sure. I'm in. Like that's I'm a big. That's I'm that's serious. a cool goal. That like ten miles, and the first time you run ten miles, it's like. Oh, Holy crap! I'll fly. I'll. I just ran. I'll 10 fly miles. down and we'll meet you, and I'll run the ten with you when you get to when you do your ten. There you go. Yep. No way, yep. really. Oh, he definitely. That would will. be. Well, then we definitely are going to have to do a pod, a number two podcast with us three together, running ten miles. Yeah. To what happened? Maybe at the end in June, we'll do a follow up and we'll just see kind of how the journey went and all awesome. that. Awesome. So. Awesome. We're That's in. Cool. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. You know, we are we're going to start uh, part three of the four series in the next few weeks, hopefully a little sooner. Um, and that one, which we've basically already touched on, but. It's going to go more into uh, the mental side of things. Hopefully you guys stick tuned and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Phil, for being here. It's been great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.